Morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you. Well, we've got quite a lot of ground to cover this morning, so we'll go at a fair old uh, pace, but it would be remiss of me not to thank Steve for, for leading, for our musicians, for your uh, support, for Gemma for reading, and Elijah for sharing that testimony with us. Now, how many times have you heard the word story mentioned this morning? I'm not expecting, you know, that's rhetorical, I'm not expecting you to turn up and answer, but if you did, then you'd realise that it was many times. You've heard the word story mentioned this morning. Now, when you transpose the word story and you put it in the context of a Christian story, it becomes this word testimony. And see, that's what Paul is doing in Jerusalem this morning. As we've considered over the past few weeks, if, and for those of you that haven't been to uh, for the past few weeks, we've been painting this picture of Paul's missionary journey. And now we find him in Jerusalem. And you see, Jerusalem is this political hotbed, as it continues to be, right up to the present day, for those of you that are following stories of what's happening over there. So Jerusalem then, this political hotbed, where we find the apostle under pressure. We have found the apostle has been arrested. We had Agabus, the prophet, who we considered a few weeks ago, and he uh, prophesied to Paul in a very metaphorical way that he literally took Paul's belt from around his waist, that he banged his hands together and then made the prophecy. And the prophecy was, as this belt is banged around my wrist, so they will bound the owner of this belt. And here we are in Jerusalem, and we see that that prophecy has come true. We see right from the outset that Paul is under pressure. Paul needs to make a defence now, most of you have an idea of some description of how a legal system, legal court battle system works. You might have been through it in some various ways or forms. You might have seen it on TV, whatever it looks like. I'm sure there's probably some celebrity judge who's willing to make people look foolish on TV for you know, some form of sum of money at the moment. But you know we have somebody comes up and stands up front and says, no, I didn't commit that crime because I was out having my hair cut or whatever it might be at that time. But Paul doesn't do that. What Paul does is he stands and makes his defence. So imagine the scene. Imagine the scene at Antonia, the fortress of Antonia. This building right smack bang in the middle of the precinct of Jerusalem where all of this is taking place. You see in the centre of the picture there those steps. Imagine the melee. Imagine that courtyard being bustling with people, with the everyday market traders, with the Pharisees, with the Sadducees, with the religious leaders of the day. And right smack bang in the middle of that melee group of people is a battered and bruised Paul. And he stands and he wants to get the attention of the people because he realises that this is his opportunity. That this is the opportunity that God has placed him for for that particular time. We're introduced to a man called the Tribune. Now, so that Tribune was the governor of the day. His name was Claudius Lysus, your archetypal Roman governor. He was a man who would have stood in a place of authority, the authority that was given to him by the power of Rome. 
He snapped his fingers and things were put into place. As we read about in other places in scripture about a centurion who says, I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. That was the power of the centurion. Or rather, this is the power of the tribune. We have this peculiar conversation amongst this melee where the tribune misidentifies Paul as an Egyptian. Now, that's not entirely out of place if you read the early verses of, the, of what Gemma read to us. But what we do need to realize is a little bit of background to that is there was a, a revolt led up by a party of Egyptian people who tried to overthrow the tribune. The leader was never captured. The leader was never caught, as is often the way with these things. And yet that, as Paul arrives, a battered and bruised Paul arrives, is there to stand in front of the tribune. The tribune says to him, are you an Egyptian? To which Paul answers, do you speak Greek? I mean, we could be at this all day, couldn't we? You know, this sort of to and fro of conversation. But what's Paul doing? What's Paul doing? I'll tell you what Paul's doing. I bet you're all glad I said that, otherwise we'd sit here in silence for the rest of the morning. What Paul is doing is taking his moment. He's asking that question. Because what do you do? What do you not see in that early part of our passage from the tribune? You don't see an answer. Probably due to the fact that the tribune tried to speak Greek. But we don't get an answer. What we do get is Paul taking his opportunity. He says straight away, let me speak to the people. And he addresses the people in Hebrew. He addresses the people. And he says to them, listen to me. You see, these people that are there, these Jews that are there, they're this melee, this foray of people that's there arguing and fighting and jostling and trying to get rid of Paul. Why? Why are they trying to do it? Well, David Gooding has this to say about this particular incident. He says what, must, uh, what was in their hearts was pure murder, fed by national pride, injured self-interest, ignorance and sheer unregenerate sinfulness what they imagined as zeal for god was but of an expression of raw unredeemed human nature you see that is what the jews were doing there so why does paul make his defense i put it simply to this that paul understood exactly what Gooding described. Because 14 chapters ago, which is what seems like a lifetime ago for some of us, Paul was introduced as that very same described person. That Luke, in his, as he would write Acts, would say that Paul would go out breathing murderous threats against the followers of the way, of which now Paul has become one of the most significant people. Paul understands the context of the oppression. Paul understands the reason why the Jews are vehemently trying to get rid of this individual, as we read later on. There is this, in their mind, a religious pressure to stand up to their religious ideals. 
This is not a concept that is lost on us, is it? We realise that yesterday was an incredibly significant date in the world. The fact that here we remember, 20 years ago, a group of people who took it upon themselves to stand up for their own religious and zealous ideas. And they decided to do something significant. One, and we were introduced to an event that would, for many of us, would be a handful of we can remember of exactly where we were at that moment when we saw that footage of that plane flying that tower. And every single one of us who saw it went, what is going on? And from that moment on, we realised, and if we didn't realise before, we certainly realised then, the reality of the Christian battle that we face for those of us who call ourselves Christians. You see, this group of people, they had this religiosity, this idea of what they were doing was right. And that Paul stands to make defence. And his defence is something that we've heard of this morning. His defence is his testimony. That's what Paul defends himself with. You see, Paul has addresses the crowd in Hebrew. He wants to show that he's kosher, if you forgive me. He lays out his standing. He lays out who he is. I was taught by Gamaliel. Why is that important? Why is it important for Paul to explain who he is and where he comes from? Well, the answer is this, that for the Jewish nation, your pedigree, your family tree, your name and line of which tribe you came from, which person was the most royal and senior way up in your family tree, was so significant that it gave you standing as who you are. How many of you, just out of curiosity, have ever attempted to do anything with your family trees? Just a few, just a few. Now, I did something with mine, not a lot, admittedly. I did what every good person does to find out something about their family tree. I went and asked my mother. <laughs> and so what we find in my family tree, unfortunately, friends, is nothing remarkable whatsoever. There's no great uncle who was way up in the family tree that was, you know, the crown prince of whatever. No, nothing like that in the slightest. And yet for the Jews, the significance of their family tree, the significance of who there are, is why Paul starts off his defense like this. Because he says, who am I? This is the first of six occasions in, in the book of Acts, the latter part of the book of Acts, where Paul, begin, well, Paul defends himself by showing his testimony. He does it in many other ways. But the significance of this is that he shows the Jews who, they, who he is. Why is it so important for Jews? Because it shows who they are. It shows where they come from. Why is Matthew chapter 1 the genealogy of Jesus? Because it shows the Jewish readers who Jesus is. From Abram to Jesus. Where is the genealogy from Adam to Abraham? Go and read the first chapters 
first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles. And there you will find the significance of who Jesus is right the way through the Old Testament, right the way through the early parts of the New. To the Jews, this is so significant. You see, Paul introduces Jesus. Paul says that I was once like you until I met Christ. How many of us have had that experience here this morning? That we can say to those that we witnessed to, I was once like you until I met Christ. You see, that is Paul's experience. You see, Paul has met the Christ has the power to change. You have heard how Elijah met the Christ who has the power to change lives. The Christ who changed Elijah's life. The Christ who continues to change Elijah's life. You see, the power of our story is something that, as Steve said in his opening comments, cannot be taken away from us. It's ours. So Paul begins his defence, and his defence is no plausible collection of excuses. Paul defends his faith by telling his story. You see, that's the first lesson I want us to take from the passage. Our defence is our story. Our defence is our story. Because that's then the story that we tell when people ask why we have faith in God. I look out on a room of intelligent people who will be able... Well, don't laugh. I look out on a room of intelligent people. But it's not about intelligence in sharing our story. Leave science to the scientists. Unless you are a scientist, of course, and then, by all means, fill your boots. But the point is, we can argue until the cows come home about... Was the world created? Did the world evolve? God versus science, mechanism versus agency. We could go around and around and around and around and around, and all we'll do is argue. But nobody can argue against your story. Nobody can argue against what God has done in your life, in your own personal experience. You see, personal experience will have a massive impact on people. As we sat and listened to Elijah this morning, we realised that there was somebody who was being very real and honest about his life as a Christian. Because I noticed that he didn't leave out the bits that made him feel uncomfortable. He didn't just say, hey, I was saved. And, oh, well, it's just been one long party from day one to day now. And friends, I will ask you a very important question. If you ever listen to a testimony like that, ask yourself this. Can I entirely trust that story? Because there is nowhere in Scripture just to say that if you are a Christian, it will be a walk in the park on a sunny afternoon. Trials will come. Temptation will come. It will be hard, and it will be difficult. But it makes up part of our story. You see, there will always be those with dramatic testimonies. There will always be a converted murderer, converted drug dealers and the like. But let me encourage you with this. There is power in your story. You see, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're sitting there listening to what I'm saying. Friends, this is part of your story. 
This is where God is dealing with you and showing you that he wants to give you something to say about what he has done in your life. I've had the privilege of hearing some fairly powerful testimonies over the years. But I've also had conversations with people in this very room who have said, oh, my testimony's not as powerful as X. My story's not as incredible as Y. Friends, I say this brutally but carefully. Get over it. Because it's your story. There will always be room for those who have amazing testimonies. And they will write books and they will do DVDs and they will have millions of followers on Institute or whatever it is this week. But it doesn't matter. Because it's about your story. That's what Paul is sharing. He's not sharing somebody else's. He's not pointing to someone else. He is sharing his story. And he is making his defense. You see, we considered recent weeks in, in the book of Acts that, or rather, uh, that outside of the book of Acts, that there will face persecution in our lives as Christians. We heard a little bit of, from what Elijah said. You see, because I believe there may well one day be a day where our story, our story may be the only public option for sharing our Why is it important to know scripture, to quote it, to be able to bring verses to mind? Because one day we might not have the option of owning a Bible. Let's make that very real. We all sit here in the privilege of having Bibles on our iPads or phones or books or whatever it might be, on screen, whatever it might be. Friends, let's be very real to the fact that we may one day face ourselves where our story our testimony of what God has done in our life is our only public option for sharing our faith. If we find ourselves amongst some totalitarian regime, we need to be ready to do as Peter did and to give an answer for the hope that we have. And friends, we do that by using our story. And then we make sure that that story is as full of scripture and verse as everything that we can get it. Because that may be our only option. We would be deluding ourselves if we think we can turn around and say that that will never happen in the UK. Again, I say this brutally. We never expected terrorists to fly planes into a building. But here we are 20 years later. I don't say that to be barbaric. I don't say that to scare people. I say it to you because I, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe wholeheartedly that it is true. That there may be a day when just as Paul had to defend himself before the tribune and the group of Jewish leaders, and as he says, fathers and brothers, we may have to defend ourselves in a way where we don't have a Bible app to rely on. We don't have a Bible to rely on. We have to know what the Word of God says. You see, Paul's testimony against a hostile, partisan Jewish crowd does exactly what our testimony should do. It focuses on Christ. It focuses on Christ being the very centre of his testimony. It focuses on Christ being the very centre of everything that Paul focuses on. 
In Elijah's testimony, you heard the word, I heard the stories. I heard the sermons, but it didn't mean anything to me until we talked about Christ. Because it is Christ that brings a significance to our story. It was Christ that brought the significance to Paul's story. Paul stands there and he makes his defense of how he was blinded. To how he went to see a man called Ananias, another devout Jewish man. And when does a crowd fall apart? When Paul mentions that it was Jesus that was behind that moment in his life. Why? Because then he realizes, and then the crowd realizes the significance of who Christ is, and they hate Paul for it. Because this was the Jewish nation that has refused to recognize God's Messiah as their own. And they realize in the error of their way, and yet they do what every single one of us does, particularly if we're men. It's like asking for directions, isn't it, chaps? We are admitting defeat. We are admitting that we don't know. I'm glad there's a few people smiling at me because they know exactly what I'm talking about. It would be admitting defeat. It would be admitting that we were wrong. And gentlemen, we cannot do that, can we? Even when we are so regularly of an occurrence. But that's what the Jews were doing. The Jews were failing to admit that Christ is who he says he is. As soon as you bring the word Jesus into your testimony, there will be people who will instantly switch off because they will not recognize who Jesus is. And yet Paul's defense was based on Christ. Our defense needs to be based on Christ. You see, Paul gives them a very straightforward breakdown of what those things were. Acts chapter 7. This rundown of what happened to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, says Christ. Paul has been convicted of what he has done in the past. What shall I do for you, Lord? Paul has identified the change in his life. And so we go into the second part of verse 10, where he is then given instructions. Go to Damascus, you will be told what to do. Paul is ready to serve. Did you pick that up in Elias' testimony? What God has done before Elias met him. Elias, Elijah, sorry. What happened to change Elijah's life and what God has done since? Is your testimony difficult to share? You only need to make three points. Even this bumbling idiot can do that. It is a small, significant changes that God has made in our lives, and we are testifying to the fact that we are saved, just as Paul testified to the fact that he was a saved man. So back to the fortress of Antonia as we come to a close. Paul is now in full flight. There's a great, great hush amongst the people. They are listening to a man who looked as a Roman punching bag. And Paul is speaking. He's appealing to the Jews. He's including his encounter with Ananias. 
uh, in his testimony. Paul is deliberately pointing out the significance of Ananias being Luke described as a devout man. Paul is presenting the Jews to the Jews the understanding of his credibility. He reveals Ananias as a credible source. See, those Jewish people, as I said, they were so transfixed on their genealogy. They were so transfixed on where they came from, of who they were and why that was significant, that Paul uses yet one more of their own thing to bolster his announcement. But we realize this, that Paul brings his testimony back to God. Our stories are how we met Jesus and how we started a change. Our story may one day be the only option for publicly sharing our faith. Our story needs to be focused on God. And Paul does one step further. He brings his story back to what God has done in his life. That's our story, folks. As we stand to make our public defense, as Paul did, ours might not be in a legal setting. Ours could simply be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But the importance of our testimony is this, that we bring our story back to God. You see, in verse 16, Paul ends his testimony with a challenge. What is stopping you? Rise and be baptized. You see, Paul under the pressure of the mob, Paul under the pressure of the judicial system, pleads with his fellow Jews to believe in Jesus. So in verses 17 to 21, Paul recounts a vision that he had in Jerusalem. The vision is Paul being told to go to the Gentiles. We need to realise that I've said, alluded to earlier on, the Jews have abandoned the idea of Jesus being Messiah. Paul pleads. Once again, he recounts back to who he was to appeal to the people. It's too late. God has made his mind up. The Jews have rejected the Messiah. And now Paul is to go to the Gentiles. And the melee starts again. You see, that this made the Jews... Jealous. The Jews are God's chosen nation. Let's make it absolutely clear that just because Paul has been sent to the Gentiles, God is not to abandon his people. He made them a promise. They will always be his holy nation. This is by provoking the Jews to jealousy. Romans 11, uh, 11 to 16, outlines how it will work, and that's far too complex to be getting into at this time of the morning. But you see how this is temporary. And the promise of God to the Israelites is permanent. You see, the importance of our testimonies is this. They are our defense. We are testifying to the fact that we are saved. And that we are saved eternally if we are Christians here this morning. What is a fascinating subject in itself is that we are part of the line of Abraham, just as the Jews were. We are heirs according to his promise, as we've been considering in our studies in Galatians. We are a people purchased by the blood of Christ, that we shall remember tonight. 
So as I close, what's this business of Paul before the tribune? Well, Paul was to be stripped and flogged, interrogated as to get to the truth of the matter that was causing the ruckus. Religious and religion and politics will always be a volatile mix. A powder keg to explode with the smallest of ignitions. And as Paul is stretched out, he claims his Roman citizenship. As Paul is stretched out, he tells the Jews exactly who he is. And he tells the tribune exactly who he is. And what happens? The tribune starts to get uncomfortable in the neck area because he realises that should he have Paul whipped, his head will have a sudden and sharp detachment because he realises that Paul is a Roman citizen. He's a citizen with a story to tell. You see, Paul was protected by his citizenship and his citizenship meant he could take a stand. Friends, if we are Christians here this morning, let us testify that we have a protected citizenship. The citizenship of heaven. We have a citizenship in heaven that is protected. Paul was no fool. He knew exactly where this case would end up. He knew the Roman way of flogging and interrogation. And he knew that his Jewish nature would protect him against the Jews. And he knew that his Roman citizenship would protect him against the Romans. If you like, he was given a free pass to go and share the message around the world. Friends, if we're Christians here this morning, we have a citizenship in heaven. I'd know for one fact that that can never be taken away from us. God himself promises us a citizenship in heaven. And friends, just like Paul, we have a story to tell. We can know that we are protected by Christ himself. It doesn't mean we will never face difficulty, but we know that we are protected by Christ himself. And ultimately... We have a protection of a citizenship, just like Paul did. We are protected by the citizenship of heaven itself. So it's time to take a brave pill. Get out and share your story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this uh, amazing portion of scripture that we looked at this morning. Lord, we realize that there is a huge amount that we've uh, moved past or, or not read. Yet, Lord, thank you for the significance of what we have talked about. We are indebted to you for the lessons that we've learned from them this morning. And, Lord, we pray that you will give us boldness. Father, when we call for it, give us protection as we go out and share our stories. And Father, if we are not Christians here this morning, we pray that you will move along into the next part of the story. Where just as Paul recognized that his change was brought about by Christ, we ask that that would be the same here this morning.
that there will be a change in our story brought about by Christ. Father, for those of us that love you and know you, give us strength. Father, help us to go out and to continue to share our story. Father, we realize that we have a citizenship in heaven. And Lord, that will be our reward. And our reward shall be great. Thank you for your word this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to um, just...